Hello and welcome to the next episode of Lost in Criterion. I'm John Patrick Owatari Dorgan, and with me, as always, is a man who has a stomach ulcer. No, seriously, a stomach ulcer. Just a stomach Just ulcer. Just a stomach ulcer. Only a stomach ulcer. Just a stomach Doctor, doctor, is it cancer? You have to tell me if it's cancer. <laughs> what, am I a cop? <laughs> no, because that's not actually true about cops. Yeah, but it is about, I mean, as far as I understand it now... It wasn't then, though. He did that. Doctor did not have to tell. Me. <laughs> so that that still happens in Japan. Um, they, that they'll tell you it's it's an ulcer, uh, they, and then as far as I understand, it, it really depends. It's high, highly situational because, okay. and it gets kind of complicated because, as far as I understand, if you're a younger, like if you're under like sixty, sixty-five, even if you're sixty-five, they'll tell you because you're going to okay. go into treatment. Um, but. I think, as far as I understand it, if you're, like, substantially older, like, you're, we're, we're telling you won't prolong your life in any meaningful way, they won't necessarily tell you. Um, okay. But I believe also you do have to, it, they also kind of base it, like, if the doctor discovers it through, like, a routine check, and, like, you're 90 years old, they won't tell you, where, like, you have no idea, but I think if you go in to get a check... Because you think it might be cancer, and you say, "Is it cancer?" I think they pretty much have to tell you. It's a little <laughs> bit fuzzy because, as far as I understand, you the only time so. it ever comes up is with people who are very old, and and yeah, there's some, and uh, then their relatives typically decide. One of the uh, one of the Criterion essays uh, uh, purports that it's still a widespread problem in Japanese medical culture to not. Uh, well, you say not tell you say problem. Tell I say potato. Like, um, because a lot of Japanese, people, I suppose it didn't actually use. The right, okay, good because either. because it's it's important to understand practice. that this is not viewed as a negative practice in Japanese yeah. society. And, and 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 patients do have rights, and I believe that they're, but they they do try they do have some system by which the the patient can find out. But it it, it does happen. I mean, it does happen. I don't know about widespread. But it's important to understand that um, Western culture has built up this sort of, especially American culture, has built up this sort of idea that, like, knowing a thing is important. Like, in what way is it, if you, if you tell a 90-year-old a man that he has cancer and he has three months to live, what have you done for him? In what way have you have you shown him compassion? You facilitated a life changing moment in which, for the first time in his ninety years, he can feel alive. Well, right, okay, and, and given the situation, this man's not old enough, really, in modern Japanese culture. I don't think to even be at issue. Uh, yeah. They would, I, I believe, at, at this current point, they, they would have told, told him. him. He's yeah, only, he's, he's only like, I think he hasn't even like retired 50s, yet. 60s. Uh, yeah. So I mean, like, he's young enough that. But also bear in mind that medicine's changed a lot. Like, there was really nothing yeah. they could do for him at this time. Yeah. I mean, things like chemotherapy and radiation therapy are not even, are like, non-existent at this point. Like, cancer's not even really understood as a, as yeah. a, as, a, as what it is. And, and so, I mean, maybe they wouldn't have told him at this time. But now they would, he would know, uh, for sure. But, you know, he... 
and how the other guy knows is is a mystery to me. Like, we 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 the only real mystery in this movie is how the guy who tells him knows the answer. Because it's how if everybody who gets told that thing only has three months to live, how are they disseminating this information? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like it's it's like whenever. It, it, it's really kind of the only flaw with this movie, actually, logically speaking, is that. Because uh, it's like whenever you... Because um, no one's actually been told that they have cancer. Everybody's been told that they have this thing. So how are they figuring this out? I don't know how this is working. <laughs> like, where where is this knowledge coming from? It's like whenever, like, uh, you see, like, an action... It's WebMD. What? Yeah, right? WebMD. Well, like, whenever... Like, of course it's stomach cancer. Whenever you encounter, like, in an action movie or something, that's sort of like... Oh, this character has impossible knowledge that nobody. How are they disseminating this information if everybody's killed when they're eighteen years old? And or you know what I mean? Like <laughs> happens in horror movies and certain types of movies, right? Where it's yeah. like, there's no way any of you could know this. It's impossible. Your knowledge is is impossible. But whatever. Maybe one of the people who went to see that doctor was a doctor himself and was like, "No, I got cancer, dude." For real, I know what's I just, here. I just, I just wanted to have a chat. Yeah, I'm just here to hang out. Uh, no, I, I don't know. It's, it's important to understand that the ethics of Japanese society work in many ways very differently than American ethics, especially yeah. medicinal or medical ethics. And and it, it's important to understand that when a, when West, when Americans hear that that happens in Japan, our immediate reaction is a sort of revulsion. It's yeah, sort of like, the how could you lied. not tell them that? But, like, <laughs> yeah. again, you have to ask yourself, like, are you bettering that person's life? And and and, yeah. and in many ways, I would say that that Japanese doctors take the Hippocratic Oath possibly more seriously. Yeah. And that, like, well, I mean, I can't do anything for this guy. And then, therefore, first do no harm. Right. I mean, I'm, I'm only going to hurt <laughs> him by telling... And especially in... in in Japanese society where, like, that's knowledge, you know, get this more in Asian side, where knowledge can be harmful, right? Um, yeah. But, like, you know, which has led, this this movie doesn't get into it, but, like, you know, has led to a debate in Japanese society that's very different, which is much stronger debate on whether or not one has the right to self-terminate. Like, yeah, especially medically, whether or not doctors have the right to, uh, you know, help somebody to help someone. right but i mean okay. if, if it happens in japan it's not going to be like a help somebody it's going to be like okay are you are you are you ready and they're going to do it for you you know what i mean yeah. but like because what's going to happen is, is that without without any judeo-christian hang-ups uh there's no reason other than like some concerns about like you know making sure it's regulated and some of that sort of stuff to, to stop that in japan um suicide's already always been kind of considered an acceptable way yeah. to exit in, J- in Japanese yeah, a culture, history. A culture that accepts seppuku. As right, I mean, and that was an honorable way to die. Yeah. I mean, it's important to understand that without some of those Judeo-Christian hang-ups, it's really just like, well, we're not sure how to work this out, so we're going to keep backburning or backburnering it yeah. until we somebody forces us to deal with it. But generally the idea is like, well, you know, you tell a you you tell an an older person, you tell a ninety year old man that he's got terminal cancer. You've created an impossible situation for that person, because yeah. 
you've created a situation where there's no outs. They're, they know they're going to die. It's guaranteed. They know it's probably going to be painful. They're, the doctor's not going to give them chemotherapy or anything like that because they're too old. And so, like, well, what's that, that person I just sit here and wait to die? Like, just suffer enormous pain? And that, and, and yeah. from a Japanese medical ethics standpoint, that's actually the most terrifying situation is, is forcing that upon somebody. And, and it's, it's interesting. I wouldn't be surprised with, especially with the aging population in Japan, if within the next decade, we don't have a, a, a right to die law. I would be, yeah. I would be very surprised if we don't have it. Because this, because this is going to become more and more common over the next couple, you know, next decade or so. So yeah, this is depressing. <laughs> this movie really set you up for a really, you know, it's fascinating. This movie is, you know, two movies. No, like High and Low, it is two movies. So this week we are talking about Ikiru. Did I say that right? Yeah, it's a pretty easy one. Do you want me to get... I, I've thought about it a few times on, on this podcast just giving you Japanese vowel pronunciation lessons. Because <laughs> it's, the, it's the easiest Maybe. language in the world vowel-wise. Yeah. A is always A. E is always E. And I is always E. And O is always O. <laughs> And you so where's the e. where's the K in this? Is it Ikiru? Yeah. Is that yeah, how so I should Ikiru. say Ikiru? Ikiru. Yeah. And I mean it gets more complicated when you add in consonants. But basically the thing I've the flaw I've always found for most of Western or, you know, most Americans specifically, my parents being very specifically, yeah. is that the pronunciation of the vowels, like how to read them. Because it doesn't if it's I not have, obvious. It's it's not. I mean, you don't read it the way you would read English vowels. I think the it's less the vowels on my problem and where what syllable to put the consonants in because I would I would say this ikiru kir being the emphasis uh, emphatic well and syllable. so part of the problem is is that like um, Japanese uh, a lot of Japanese people will claim that there are no em- there is no emphasis in Japanese pronunciation I think they're liars <laughs> that's, that's yeah that's not true um, so uh, <laughs> the reality is that there's no prescribed uh Okay. Emphasis. It it really is personal, uh, not personal. It's often called, like regional things like that. For example, there's a town near my house that the that literally the bus pronounces it different than the people I meet. <laughs> That's delightful. the lady on the bus says Ureshino, and the people I meet say Ureshino. These okay. are different pronunciations. That's like that happens a lot in Ohio, right? Um, I mean, but but that's what I mean. It's like, like Bell Fountain versus Bellefontaine, right? And, and, how a thing is spelled and how it should be spelled. Well, but but or this even is, Toledo versus Toledo. This is nominally know? a language that doesn't have that, according to a lot of people you yeah, meet. Exactly. So it's it's more and, funny and, when I'm like, I literally spent two years riding a bus that was yeah. not sure how to pronounce the name of the town it was leaving. 
Yeah. At least in Ohio, you've got the idea that this is different, uh, <clears throat> different interpretations of foreign words getting into English. Right. These are Japanese words. <clears throat> like, it's just, you know, so, but yeah, I mean, you can, you do with it with, I would say, I would pronounce it Ikiru. Ikiru. Okay. Then I'll pronounce it Ikiru. This week we're watching Ikiru. That that's probably the worst mm-hmm. one you could have picked. <laughs> because it's all on Ru now, which just sounds crazy. Ikiru. Because the Ru is we'll just a, as a way of conjugating. Yeah. We'll try to say that on an inhale then. <laughs> anyway. It is translated as to live. It's a nineteen fifty two Japanese film. It, it, yeah, yeah. Yeah? Yeah. Is it to live? Yeah, it is. is it is. It's enough? interesting because like I in the, in the mind you, I'm not a Japanese expert. Okay, yeah. but like, it's very much like the sort of vulgar to live. Like, I mean, I mean vulgar not okay. in a gross way, but like, vulgar is yeah. in the sense that like it means the action of living, of being alive. Yes. Like, like, like you know, animals are alive in this way. It's not the sort okay. of spiritual aliveness that there okay. are. That's interesting. In any sense. That is a that is in itself a very interesting thing, as far as interpretation of the film goes. Uh, it is directed and co-written by Akira Kurosawa. Uh, it's loosely based on Tolstoy's uh, "The Death of Ivan Illich," uh, in that Ivan Illich uh, also deals with a uh, bureaucrat who finds out he has a terminal illness and has a bit of an existential crisis. Um, <laughs> But that's about about where it ends. Even Illich does not uh, build a park, for instance, right? Or right. Die on a swing, um, but he does befriend befriend a young boy um, who understands whose whose zeal for life inspires him to accept death. Ah, <laughs> uh, Tolstoy, I love you. It's interesting to me how much uh, Kurosawa is influenced uh, by Western literature. Obviously, he's a very Western right. director within Japanese, you know, comparing to someone like Ozu. Um, and you're, uh, you're, you're almost dichotomized, you know, absolutely opposite ends of spectrums. Um, yeah, but it's interesting because Ozu and, and Kurosawa are in many ways tackling very similar topics. In these two films, yeah. it's interesting that they're not back to back, but they're very close together. In uh, in the in referring the, to Tokyo, yeah, story. specifically Tokyo. Sorry, sorry. Yeah. yeah, like I mean, Good Morning is dealing with very, very other, very different things. But, <laughs> yes. but Tokyo Story yes. and Ikiru are in many ways very cover a very similar topic. Uh, yeah. Not not exactly, but they're both very much dealing with modern Japanese life. Uh, yeah, from pretty different perspectives. Um, did I interrupt you? I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. That was good information. I'm glad you. I'm glad you brought it up. I just think it's, it's a, uh, you know, the last Kurosawa film we saw. I think it was the last one. Is uh, was a Shakespeare adaptation, um, and Shakespeare gets everywhere. Um, but you know, he does Dostoevsky. He does Tolstoy. He do- yeah, he does yeah, that's true. Quite a bit of Shakespeare. Um, and you don't see that sort of thing popping up in other Japanese. Well, not yeah, not in this time. Cinema. Not, not not in this time. Period. Uh, especially in this time period. Um. So yeah, I I mean, and then again, you know, it's interesting to consider Russia 
um, Russia its own sort of because it's not really Eastern, it's not necessarily Western, but it is. You know, he's got a tie to uh, Soviet Russia. We talked about him visiting the set for Solaris right. when we talked about. Well, Solaris. I mean, yeah. Um, but uh, you know, well, Tolstoy and Jostoy right. It's also important are, are to understand that that so. that, uh, that Japan and uh, Russia are have throughout their history had a very complicated relationship because they do share a border that many yeah. people forget exists uh but Japanese and Russians do not uh there's there yeah. there's still an island there's still several islands that nobody knows who they belong to <laughs> the Japanese claim it's theirs the Russians claim it's theirs uh but now, mind you, these are barren wastelands, but whatever. Um, yeah, that's no never stopped anybody before, right? Uh, useless rocks are important, uh, but yeah. but they've also had very friendly friendly relationships in the past too. Um, Russians, the Russian Navy was one of the first navies to visit after the Americans opened the border. Uh, yeah. Opened the you know not border; it's not an actual border because it's all islands, but. Uh, and and actually, the Japanese clicked pretty well with the Russians, but then within, yeah. I guess, within twenty Perhaps years, only war because with them. they weren't the Americans. Well, we, I mean, you know, because this is pre pre a lot of things. Okay, yeah. I mean, this is right after the board, after Japan was opened up to trade, uh, because they're yeah. very close and 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 kind of fit into limbo worlds and and they traded a lot of technology and and literature and things like that yeah. uh, that, that surprises a lot of people well it's surprising because it was a, a it was a it was what what Japanese people would consider a Western power but much more accessible mm-hmm. and bear in mind that at this time places like China were not places that Japan would want to have a relationship with well, yeah well, they were they the were essentially about... colonized wrecks at this point. The thing about Russia is it is it is a trans world culturally too, right? Because right? it, it it touches Europe and it touches the Pacific. Uh, it's it's a uh, exactly it was it was it was it was a itself, European it, has a it was an accessible range. European power. Yeah, that 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 Japan could deal with more on its own terms. But okay, so we should actually talk about Ikiru, huh? <laughs> we that, should actually be cool. talk about the movie. Um, so, so uh, oh, yeah, go ahead and start. No, you go. No, ahead. you go ahead. No, okay. What were we? What was the thing I was talking about when this is the worst episode we've ever made? <laughs> what, what was you were talking about? How the movie is disjointed. Oh uh, yeah, how it is yeah. Two separate it, films it, in a lot of ways. It, it is. It, it it's fascinating to me because at first it's got it, it, it takes this not a full left turn but a pretty strong turn. When it becomes this sort of like <laughs> weird urban messiah tale, uh, yeah, I love it. Don't get me wrong. This is this is well. This movie has a lot of, of different we've ever watched. There's a lot of different things going on in this movie. Even even within its very split uh, personality, it 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 fluctuates between genres for a little bit in the beginning while he's figuring out what to do in response to his death sentence. You know, we get. Which I I enjoy very much. I enjoy watching him explore that. It's it's sad. I mean, it's really. um, I'm trying to look for the right word. It's not somber. It's got a certain, uh, like, 
it's got a certain kind of sadness in it, though, like while he's hunting around for something to do. And we've seen we've seen Kurosawa do something like this before with High and Low. Yes, and I mean, very I would say that like I did not movie. think that Kurosawa could do a better job of making a Kurosawa film than High and Low <laughs> until I watched this movie. Yeah, like it it it, it and that's it the fascinating blows my thing mind. because. I did not realize this when we started the Criterion Collection that I would actually suddenly start to consider Kurosawa's samurai films to be his lower works. I know, right? That's exactly what I was about to say. The samurai stuff is is what we're familiar with uh, in in the West. And Ikaru came out right before Seven Samurai. It's uh, but it is if it is noticeably a better film. It is a better film. The and that's plot the thing is about more interesting. It. It's if, better. The the everything it, it touches more deeply on the issues of, of of human existence and and what it means to be alive, and and what our role and and and, and dealing with like, you know, uh, humanism and the idea of like self definition of what what one's life yeah. means. It's beautiful. I love it. It's a little long because so, it's Kurosawa. <laughs> So 1950 is Rashomon. 1951, he made his version of The Idiot, uh, Dostoevsky. 1952, we have Ikaru. And 1954, we have Seven Samurai. And if Seven Samurai hadn't come out um, or hadn't hit the West first, uh, it just seems to me like this would be generally... The film everybody in the knows public conscience. Yeah. It's interesting, What though, everybody knows him It's for. fascinating because I think it's all very weird. Because mm-hmm. this film is, in many ways, very accessible to Western audiences, but in many ways not accessible. Uh, because, but I would say in general, it's probably more accessible than Seven Samurai. Uh, yeah, probably just just because it deals with modern well, life se- and, and, and Seven Samurai is an action flick, and anyone can get into it. And that's what flick, I think. Right? And that's what I mean is like in the end, I don't think. That I think Seven Samurai still would have been the one because Seven Samurai invented a genre. Yeah, this this tell, does a genre in a beautiful, just perfectly, but it's not inventing something new. Whereas mm-hmm. Seven Samurai was, and it was a thing that Westerners decided to run with, which is just just blast the shit out of everything. I mean, yeah. like we can we we legit have Kurosawa to thank for Michael Bay. Keep that in mind. Yeah, yeah. In the end, Michael Bay is Kurosawa's fault. <laughs> that jerk. Well, I mean, you know, it's it's just interesting that that well, it's gonna be a, it's gonna be the Seven Samurai podcast, but like, uh, just the fact that like the first person to do it just did such a good job of it. You, you know what I mean? Like, it's yeah. not really supposed to work that way. You know what I mean? Yeah. The first one's supposed yeah. to be kind of good, then people run with the idea. You're not supposed to make the best <laughs> one first. But, you know, getting back to you here, like, I mean, it's it's interesting. You know what it reminds me the most of, though? What? Oh, shit, I forget what it's called. Parks and Rec. In some ways, yes, but um, if, if Parks <laughs> no, and Rec were more sad, 
Um, Specifically, yes. Which Parks and Rec is Ikiro reimagined as a... As a comedy? uh, As a sitcom without the death. Right, yeah. (laughs) Although, although I've never watched the last episode of Parks and Rec, so I still assume that people die. (laughs) And that Ron decides has been secretly waging his war on the drones, and then at the end they all explode (laughs) or something, because I just can't accept that he would ever accept them. I'm, I'm never going to watch the last episode because I, I can't deal with them not fulfilling my wishes. Um, I've never watched the last episode of MASH either for the same reason, but like, let's not get into that. I don't watch the last episodes of a lot of shows because I have a mental problem. I, I never watched the last episode of MASH because I just didn't want Vietnam to end. I don't even know how to deal with the fact that, of what you just said because none of it makes sense, Adam. Fucking Korean War, man. It was Korea, was Yeah, it, it was I'm Korea. No, I just I I there's certain shows I can never watch the last episode of because it would it it would I the world is a better place with my my imagination than what it actually could be. <laughs> there you go. Um head cannons are very strong. Yeah. <laughs> what? Head cannon. You're, oh, you're, yeah, yeah, no. I, so I, I didn't hear head, and so I only heard like cannons are very strong. I was like, what the fuck is he talking about? <laughs> I, what is Adam talking about right now? Like, like I don't even know. Um, oh, so, um, no. What's the um? Oh, fuck! What's it called? The the Christmas There's... movie where Angel. What if I never was born? What the fuck is the name of that? It's a wonderful. Thank life. you. I just wanted to say Miracle on Thirty Fourth Street like fifty times, and I'm like, that's not right. Yeah, that's Pat. a different. That's thing. not right, Pat. Pat, that's not right, Pat. That is not right. <laughs> but but like I got into that cycle where like that's the only one that wanted yeah. to come out, and so but I knew it was wrong, so it would never end, right? Yeah. So uh, okay. yeah. Speaking of Miracle on Thirty Fourth Street, <laughs> so in many ways it's like it's a wonderful life, right? Which is really weird. If it, but. It's not. I, I, I just I'm trying to think of examples of movies where characters undergo radical transformations based on information that they receive that makes them a better person. So yeah. there's always um, Christmas story. Uh, um, yeah, Christmas Carol. Christmas Carol. Man, I'm having trouble today. Cold medicine's a hell of a drug. Uh, but. Like I'm trying to think of ones that are not Christmas based, and I can't come up with any. Now it could be the that's fact that I'm sitting right of, across the table from a Christmas tree. Also, in Western culture, that sort of redemption is, is, a, is, is a Christian thing, right? To, it's a it's a it's a religion yeah. thing, right? Yeah. Whereas, and and even even outside of that, that sort of redemption is tied to winter. It's tied to right rebirth and all that uh, and that and all that jazz, yeah. And that's, you know, we get that in this movie, too. You know, when he finally has his realization about what he needs to do, he exits the restaurant to a bunch of teenagers singing Happy Birthday to You. And that is a motif. Oh, the yeah, song no, continues yeah, for to real. play. Yeah, I mean. As he starts his, puts his plan into action. And then he dies. Well, right. <laughs> and the movie switches gears. Right. To, to our protagonist died five yeah, months Yeah, no, but later. This, it's, it's really like, and that's the weird thing, right? It's like. When it shifts into a recollection of his, where where they where they play junior detective, yeah, it's a it's a I love it. Don't get me wrong, I love it very much. But it's also kind of Rashomon esque. It's really yeah. like it's Rashomon, but where it's Rashomon, but we actually 
we know the truth. Yeah. I, 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 you know what? We can't do this podcast. I can't handle this movie. Thinking about this movie just makes... This movie is so fucking good. <laughs> that, like, it's legitimately hard to formulate thoughts that don't start, like, Mobius stripping on themselves. <laughs> you, you know what I'm saying? Like... Because like, yeah. you start you no, start exploring the similarities to Rashomon, but the fact that the people but there's a right answer because the audience does know the right answer, presumably. Yeah. But the audience only thinks it knows the right answer because we never actually see what happens, except for through this tale. Yeah. But before they even start, the audience knows that the dude who keeps saying that this guy made it happen is right. Yeah, but we know that, but we know that without any proof, yeah. because because it cuts out as soon as he decides to start the project. It's it's a fascinating like how much he plays with the audience's understanding of what it means to know a thing. Yeah, is basically unnecessary in this film, but beautiful. You know what I mean? Like you could cut out any yeah. one of the very brilliant elements out of this film, and it would still be an amazing film. But yeah. they're all in there, and it gives me I have fucking goosebumps right now, Adam. Yeah, I cannot deal with it. Like, this movie and messes with me. To switch gears a little bit, we we talked earlier uh, comparing this to Tokyo's story and how it's doing similar things about modern life in Japan. Yeah. And, but from very different you know, perspectives. One's about family life. Then this one's about, about the bureaucracy and and, yeah. and and it actually features an interesting thing that I actually teach lessons about. I teach a lesson about, about the the sort of birth of the the homegrown activist movement in Japan that was yeah. head, almost spearheaded almost entirely by Japanese housewives. Oh, no making doubt. things happen because yeah. just they wouldn't get done if they didn't like force it down the throat of the government. Like those yeah. women, it's, it's fascinating. This it's one of the minor flaws I would say in the film is just that because our main character needs to get to be the one who pulls it into action it does slightly devalue the efforts of those women because in real life, those women would have single-handedly carried out the actions that he carried out. They yeah. would have forced it down the throats of the government. Yeah. And and the scene... The Instead, scene we have a sort of messiah figure, that, which is unfortunate. That Yeah, that montage of them uh, going through the different bureaucratic offices is just wonderful. It, it's beautiful, and it's and it's a very accurate yeah. representation of what Japanese bureaucracy looks like now, even. Yeah. But yeah. but it's important to understand that like parks got built a lot of them. Yeah, a lot of really yeah. amazing public works projects and things like that happen, and they did not happen because of magical. Like <laughs> because, because an old man had a change of right. Point. They happened because these women were intensely tenacious. Just yeah. would not take no for an answer to the point where, I mean, like that thing about like, for example, dealing with the Japanese mafia, they dealt with that. I mean, like the women who yeah. made this these sorts of things happen powered through death threats and things like that. And just like, nope, yeah. that park's getting built. If we have to show up in your <laughs> office every day for the rest of your fucking life. And that is, that is delightful. What I was going to actually bring Sorry. up, though, is that we... We talk about, um, specifically, you know, you brought up Tokyo's story and the fact that they're so close together makes us, makes us think about it. Um, 
what Tokyo Story is about the modernization of Japan, um, but still trying to trying to modernize without wholly letting go. Um, whereas this movie, the people who have really modernized, really really westernized, and it's so interesting to be a Kurosawa movie. His kids, his son and his wife are not good people in the narrative of this film, but they are the most Western people in the movie. Right, that's you know, true. They're wearing Western pajamas when they're introduced. They're sleeping on an actual bed. They complain about not liking Japanese houses and how they need a modern house. Yeah, it's interesting because they, they, re- they represent, represent a new generation. But, like, oddly enough, though, everybody's fairly modern because yeah. that, that bureaucracy you see, is, is also is very a, modern. Is a, is and, a very modern yeah. thing. And, and is a major part of Japanese culture at this point. Yeah. Is that a post-war invention? No, the Japanese no. Bureaucracy? Well, to be fair, it's not even a... It's, it is... It would be overgeneralization for me to say that the Japanese have long loved bureaucracy. But there's <laughs> evidence even in writing about... In research about samurai culture, especially after the Tokugawa shogunate came into power, essentially they turned all the sam- samurai into bureaucrats because there okay. were no more wars. They're like, well, what the fuck are we going to do with all these people? Well, they all know how to write, right? So, <laughs> guess they're doing paperwork. <laughs> yeah, that works. And, and literally, that's essentially they said they they gave them two tasks: you are bureaucrats, and you're going to further your cultural development and and so you see a lot of birth of a lot of new art forms and things like that very samurai focused art forms but nonetheless art forms and bureaucracy and as far as we can tell it's just, that just sort of that's a through line all the way through the Meiji restoration and even modern Japan uh, it, this is a very westernized version of bureaucracy but it's still not a new thing to Japanese society uh, it's it's got a good you know, 700-year run. <laughs> yeah. At the minimum. It's been around. Yeah. And, and it's not new in any culture, right? I mean, like... I mean... And eventually it can still build a park. So. Yeah, I mean... And, and apparently all it takes is a dude, like, realizing he's going to die. <laughs> I mean, obviously, to a certain extent, like, Kurosawa is poking fun. He's... Yes. Dr- he's over-dramatizing it. Getting a park built is a particularly challenging thing to do because of yeah all the, the fact that, that have this is about involved. a park automatically makes this somewhat satirical right, right? I mean it, it, it but at the same time kind of true right because like a park is a particularly hard thing to get built yeah because you know it's a it's a thing that so many people say that doesn't matter right exactly but to the people who want it it very much matters and, and, and it also falls into the category of like very legitimately what they identify in here which is like whose job is that yeah to build a park exactly is it the park and rec's department no it's their job to maintain exactly the park. so i mean so. It, it does it does get into that and that, that's a, yeah. a real thing Although the runaround is is overly dramatized, you know, overly com- it's comedic, right? I mean, it's meant to be comedic. Yeah, but it's also it's comedic because of that hint of truth in it, right? As as somebody who has walked up and down our our city hall <laughs> and visited multiple deaths, I mean, getting married was not the easiest thing in the world. 
Here's the thing. At least it's not the U.S. where where that's you can do all of that in City Hall when you want to get a park built. Where anything I have to do is all federal, so I've got to run to eight different buildings, possibly in two. Right, that, that's true because because <laughs> Japan is not a federalized government; it's a centralized yeah. government. We like I can go to City Hall and literally do everything inside. It also means our city halls are ridiculous <laughs> because what should be spread out in multiple buildings, honestly is all packed into a really crazy building where everybody's five inches away from each other at desks because there's not <laughs> enough space. Uh, and, and that paper stack behind him is not in any way dramatized. Oh, I'm That's sure totally not. accurate. I love I love how people are still putting papers in his inbox. Yeah. Uh, Seems to, While he's yeah, gone. Checks out. Totally yeah. checks out. Well, no one can... No one can do anything. No one can retire without his approval, so she has to go. Yeah, yeah, it's it's fascinating. Like, well, she's got you got to give her two week two week notice to somebody, right? Yeah, but no, it's 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 fascinating because they're all waiting for him to be gone long enough that somebody appoints a provisional head of the of the department, and then he comes back on that day, basically. Yeah, it's all fascinating. And I love it. I love the whole. I love the little bits of comedy in such a in in, a, in many ways somber movie. It, really fascinating. It's that you that I couldn't find myself laughing at a movie, and also happy, and also it, it's so many it, the spectrum, the emotional spectrum run in this movie is. Yes, astounding. and that's what makes it a great film. It's, I mean, it's and amazing. in that way, and in that way, it could rightfully be compared to. Um, Citizen Kane, and uh, I, I, which is also a movie about death and looking. I back would at life, say that if you held a gun to my head, I like this movie better than Citizen Kane. I I, I think I would say that without. The well, gun. I mean, I, Citizen Kane has a lot going for it, but I would say that this is, in many ways, a more genuine film than Citizen Kane is. A more yeah. heartfelt film. You feel more of a of Kurosawa's true emotions. I feel like in this film, you know what I mean. Like I don't know. Like so often with his, you don't believe that Orson Welles has true emotions. No, he's a robot. That um, that's been proven. He's, he, he was built by the lizard men um, who live on the moon. Uh, no, what I'm saying, no, it's not that. It's 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 that. Yeah, there's a certain. Citizen Kane, despite all of its things going for it, is the is the partially partially because of the subject matter, feels aloof. Yeah. Uh, partially, like I said, because it's about a dude who's super aloof, but um, and based on a man who was super aloof. Uh, what I'm saying is, it, Chris Howe has made a lot of films, and and and. You know, Seven Samurai or something like that doesn't really give us a window into who Kurosawa really is. What yeah. he feels, what he thinks about when he goes to sleep at night, things like that, right? But in this film, yeah. when I'm done with this film, I feel like I could, I know who he is. I feel like yeah. I have a personal relationship with Kurosawa now. And that's, that's this is a film, film about coming terms to death. And obviously, this is a film in which the main character... Or wants to make something of his life, a life wasted. And I don't believe that Kurosawa looked at himself even uh, 
even here, even before making Seven Samurai, and thought his life was wasted no, at all. No, no, yeah, he's got he's got plenty. No, plenty he's of not Fellini. This is not behind him already. Yeah, it's not autobiographical, but it probably I can see it growing from the same sort of what? obsession with right leaving a legacy. Right, but right? it also probably grows from like. This is these are thoughts that every person who's ever walked yeah, the earth yeah. and, has. And I say obsession, and I don't even really mean obsession. I mean just thinking about what it's like to die and and what what death will mean for your life. Right, exactly. And 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 in that, I mean, he touches on a subject that is it is common to all yeah. men, and that's great. I mean, it, he does it in the most artistic way I could possibly imagine. And it's, you know, it's about coming to terms and not fearing death, which is what all religion is about, or a lot of it. Um, so, you know, and that's that's one thing, you know, I, I view this film and I get um, I get to thinking about rebirth and and, you know, there's very Christian concepts and we bring up Christmas movies because of that. But it's also very Buddhist concepts. Oh, uh, yeah. You, you, it's hard to find one that is more Buddhist or more. <laughs> it's hard to find a religion that's more than Buddhist, which is that that whole the whole <laughs> cycle and everything like that. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Like there's there's not even any there's not even a waiting period in Buddhism. <laughs> like you're you're in. It's it's just going to keep doing this yeah. till you do it right. <laughs> and he uh he does a good job at doing it right. Yeah, no, I mean it's I mean oh god. Like we we do have a a minor flaw which is the fact that this is this fits into the the beautiful category of films that are so good I can't talk about them. <laughs> no, I I you know because and this one is different even than some of those because again, it just dealing with the labyrinth number of topics and ideas that are broached in this film is just I mean, for example, it even pokes fun at a thing which is a very Japanese concept, but it's definitely taken a jab at it, which is the idea of advancement through age. It's a very Japanese uh management type of concept you you don't go up in rank because you are good at your job you go up in rank because you have gotten older and yes. you are the oldest person in the office is the is that is the typical way of advancement in, in traditional japanese management and uh it, it takes it, it takes a jab at it, which is interesting because it shows a self-awareness about one's own culture that is rare to take a jab at that because that's that's inherent. I mean that's 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 built deep into the core of Japanese culture. That's like circa again Tokugawa era like neo confucianism. The idea that the the patriarch of the of the group is the leader. Uh, so I mean like to take a jab at that it shows a level of understanding of the differences between one's own culture and another culture that is very rare. Yeah, and just generally like this, like level of commentary in a film that's made so early on in the process in Japanese society. I mean, like this movie, what, Ikira was made in what nineteen fifty-two. So we're we're yeah. we're pretty early on in the Amer the Anglicization of Japanese society. Yeah, uh, you know, I mean, like we're we're still in like 
early days of we're going to run this like a Western bureaucracy now. Yeah. Now, mind you, after the Meiji Restoration, it was run like a Japanese version of a Western democracy. But this is this is post-American influence on the development of the Japanese government. And so it's really early days on that. And, and already he's taking jabs at it. Yes. Yes. And that's... That is a beautiful aspect of this film, too. Just, you know, that it's... That it is... It is still a satire. It's a satire. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a pretty hard-hitting political satire, which is <laughs> yeah. weird in a movie mainly about dealing with death. <laughs> a guy... A guy dealing with death. Yeah. <laughs> but, like, it does both of those things really well at the same time, which is really hard to deal with somebody. Like, what I'm saying in the end is, apparently, Kurosawa is more of a genius than I ever realized. Well, yeah, then that's the thing. We talk about this movie being uh, two different movies because it's two different acts that that well, I mean, function well, I mean, uh, almost it, wholly separately. Yeah. But it's at least two or three different movies just in, in different stories the way being told the narrative functions. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's it's crazy. <laughs> like yeah. how could anybody be this freaking good at their job, Adam? <laughs> good at it. Yes, like I, know, I mean right? legitly I'm I'm I, legitimately I'm asking you how do I ever become this good at my job? At anything. Like this is this is a master class in like filmmaking. And this is yeah. 1952, Adam. Like, yeah. I mean, he hasn't even made some, like, one of his most famous movies. Yeah. Yeah. He hasn't made, yeah. He hasn't made what we considered his best movie. Until we, until we were, we were you know, painfully corrected. Well, not even. To, to not be even fair, that, though, I mean, I mean, like. I'm not just talking about Seven Samurai. I'm talking about High and Low. Right, yeah, High I mean, like, High and Low is a good movie. I love High and Low. But, like, yeah. this movie makes High and Low look like Kurosawa yeah. had a bit of an off day. It blows everything else he's done out of the water. And it's. I can't. I, it's, it's, it's my. And mind. we're already talking about one of the greatest directors. Yeah, we're talking about. In we're film talking history. about. The, so far. The greatest film ever made by one of the greatest directors to ever live. <laughs> like, essentially at this point, he gets a free pass on any other films yeah. we watch. Because I don't care anymore. <laughs> uh, I mean, between high and low I wonder low what Kurosawa's I mean, off films were. You know, you gotta wonder, right? Like, we're gonna get to him eventually, right? Because apparently, if it's got Kurosawa on it, it's in the Criterion Collection. Shit's gonna get yeah. watched eventually. We gotta find the one that's like a spine number way down in like the like in the in the in the six hundreds. Yeah, it's even like like Redbeard wasn't. It wasn't amazing. It was wasn't good. amazing, but it was still. Yeah, that's that's that's. It's not like it was overwrought. It wasn't somebody who so so believes in. Yeah, the pro the problems with Redbeard stem from. Uh, Kurosawa becoming uh, questioning his own abilities, right? Right. You right. know the fact that it's it's his last film with Mifune because somebody said, "Hey, maybe Mifune is not that great." And Kurosawa was like, mm. "No, that can't be true." Yeah, it's is that true? Oh shoot! Yeah, and then he just starts tearing, it starts tearing <laughs> him apart. But man, we have so yeah. many films to watch. 
Holy crap. I just, <laughs> I went to the Criterion Collection, or the Criterion Collection, and typed in, like, went to this movie, Kurosawa. and then clicked on the Kurosawa, because, like, his name is Link, right? Yeah. Oh, my God. I'm so excited, Adam. But I'm also <laughs> a little bit scared. Uh, because what if none of them are this good? Which is definitely possible. <laughs> okay? How do I deal with that? But some of them look really interesting. We'll find out. Is that the same dude? And, and you know we've got... Wow. Uh-huh. The, the same... Sorry. He's got another movie with the same actor. The, the guy who plays Watanabe. Yeah. What's his name, Pat? Wait, what? You know? Takashi Shimura. I don't know what you're questioning now. I don't know. It's, it's okay. I'm fine. <laughs> I'm okay. Oh, Pat, you need to go to sleep. You need to. No, to... I, I, I'm, I'm now flipping through the Kurosawa section of Criterion, and that it's very distracting because I'm like, I wonder what this movie's about. Stop! Stop! Focus! No, can't do it. Can't do it. <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I. This film has a 100% positive rating. On Rotten Tomatoes. Of course it yeah, does. Yeah, yeah, no shit. <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, okay. Like, I I don't know. I can't, you know, we've, we've crossed into the territory. This is another one where I'm literally shopping for this movie right now. Because yeah. I just genuinely need to own this. Like, I, it needs to be a thing that I own. Because not owning it seems like a sin. Yeah. I think I think the real sin is that uh, Empire's list of 2008 list of 500 greatest movies of all time is only 459. What? Empire's Empire's 100 best films of world cinema in 2010. It's only number 44. Now we've seen we've seen a handful of films that I would put above this. Absolutely. Yeah, um, I mean, I can I you could. Although, honestly, most. I honestly, it gets really sketchy. Like the top ten films we've seen out of the Criterion Collection, I wouldn't actually be able to rank. I could name ten films that right. I could yeah, I agree. Anytime you watch, try to rank but stuff, I it's that I individually. You're, you're really getting. Yeah. And honestly, I would be very hard pressed to find one that handles such a kind of common and gentle yeah. topic this well yeah. with such an emotional roller I mean, we. There's a lot of great films that we've watched in the collection, but many of them have been borderline genre picks where somebody yeah. did a type of film extremely well. But this is not, to my mind, a type of film. This yeah. is a... I think that's absolutely true. A fairly simple story about a person, but handled just in an immaculate way. And I think this is probably the first one we found that had 100% of Rotten Tomatoes. Oh, I don't think that's true. Well, I think there's. I typically check that section, and I always feel like it's like ninety seven, ninety eight. That means literally thirty people were like, "Nope, nothing. Nope, it's a hundred percent. We're we're cool with this." (laughs) I don't. I yeah. I mean, yeah. That top ten, I'd love to make it, but I would. I would always feel, it would always feel impossible to release it, because, I could never be sure. That I got all that I got every really good one in there. I think the third man has a one hundred percent. That that makes sense. I mean that 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 tracks. 
I just guarantee that we've seen some that definitely do. Yeah, and, and, and but we'll they're few and far between. They're because like even some of the really good ones we've watched have had like ninety seven. Well, yeah, I've, yeah. I've, but only ninety seven percent of people in the audience liked it. <laughs> Whoever you are, you're a monster. You're just being contrarian at this point. Now I've clicked through to Rotten Tomatoes yep, and they're certified top hundred movies of all time. Even the number one. Wizard of Oz doesn't actually have a 100% rating. Yeah, because I don't think they actually, like, that. at that point you're getting yeah. into very editorial type of things, right? Like, Rashomon has 100%. Huh. I didn't really... M has 100%. It, that makes sense. Just scrolling down through ones I know, 400 Blows obviously has 100%. God, 400 Blows. That. You know what? Yeah. In all, honestly, this is probably 400 Blows and this. I didn't even think about that have a lot in common too. Yeah. It, not not in any sort of story way, but like in the way they handled the very just kind of core of human existence in such a yeah. in such a clean and beautiful way is very reminiscent of four hundred blows. It's so it lacks pretension about like what it means to be a, a person. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's just about a person. Yeah. Now, if only Kurosawa had followed this up 15 years later, getting the cast back together. And made, and a, made a sex comedy. shit show. Yeah. <laughs> if only. Man, what was, he, what, was, what was Kurosawa thinking not doing that? <laughs> Look, you and I are going to be joking about that. And then, like, in, in like, a hundred episodes, we're going to be like, oh, shit, that he did that. <laughs> we'll find Somehow it. Somehow he came back to life. Or it's like a prequel. As it turns out, that's the plot of Bran. Yeah, like, that's what I'm saying. It's like, we're going to accidentally, wrong. like, realize, oh, shit, we were totally wrong. He did that thing, too. Oh, my God. It's a it's a curse. It's, it's, it's a plague on humanity. <laughs> Oops. I think we've said about as much as we can no, say. No, because all this. I'm going to do is gush. I mean, like literally, that's all. Yeah. I mean, that's all we've done for an hour now. That's all I'm going to do for yeah. the next hour, and I could do for probably six to ten more. Yeah. This is this is an absolutely brilliant film, and I loved watching it, and I loved talking about it with you, even though uh, you're high on cough syrup. I, well, to be fair, <laughs> I have not taken any cough syrup. I just have <laughs> one of my medicines makes me really sleepy. To the okay. point where I was like a zombie in my class today. I was kind of like... Oh, dear. You know how, like, if you start to fall asleep while you're standing up, you do that weird swaying thing? Yeah, I was doing yep. that a lot. Oh, boy. So I'm excited <laughs> That's for sleep. That's unfortunate. Good. I'm excited to let you sleep. So let's pull this to a close. This week we were talking about Ikiru. How was that? Yeah, was that that okay? was really good. That was one of your best. Ikiru. It doesn't hurt that this is <laughs> like... A three-syllable word, but whatever. Yeah. <laughs> 1952 film by Akira Kurosawa. Uh, certainly his best film. That we've seen so uh, far. Possibly. That we've seen so far. We thought uh, High and Low was his best film best until ever. today. That's true. That's true. Yes. So we will call, always qualify with best film of his that we've seen to this date. And we've got, I believe, at least 20 oh, more. Oh, God, yes. It's, it does, There's 27 at some point, he started using collection. color film, apparently. Yes, indeed. Well, you know, technology marches on, man. I did not think for Kurosawa it didn't. 
It did. It did. We are not familiar at all with his color work. Nope. It's a point we're going to run into that. Yep. Yeah. Um, next week, though, uh, we will not be talking about Kurosawa. We will be talking about Diary of a Country Priest by Robert Bresson. Like, does the Criterion Collection just accept any movie that has the title Diary of... <laughs> is that like a rule? Is that like there's? A, I assume there's like a Criterion Collection bylaw system where if you name your movie Diary of, you're in. <laughs> well, I can't wait till Diary of a Wimpy Kid comes out. <laughs> it's oh, instantly in. We get to that. It's like the, the guys at the, the guys at the Criterion corporate office are like, "Well, shit, we can't do anything about it." It's in. <laughs> it's got diary of. We've got to release like, it. That's how Armageddon actually got in. It was actually, if you look really I mean, close like, to the box, it's actually diary, diary of, of a space cowboy. Yeah, exactly. It's the subtitle of Armageddon. Armageddon, diary of a space cowboy. It was there changed in post. Anyway, diary of a country priest, Robert Bresson. We've seen one Robert Bresson film Which before. I believe I called him Robert the entire time because I didn't realize he was French. That's um, fine. Six of one, half a dozen of the other, right? But that was Le Dames du Bois de Boulogne. Oh my god, the, uh, what did you just say? What was that one? Le Dames du Bois de Boulogne? That was the one about the uh, the aristocratic gentleman who uh, pisses off his aristocratic uh, former lover, so she tricks him into falling in love with a prostitute. All right. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's hazily hey, familiar. A brilliant film that we loved at the time, but uh, but that you've apparently completely forgotten. To be fair, we've watched a lot of movies, man. We have watched a lot of movies. And, and, and uh, there's we a certain forward... class of French film that's all kind of bled together at this point. Yes. Into one super French film. We look forward to talking about more films. More and more and more films. So many more films. Yeah, and at the rate they're doing it now, we'll, we'll literally never catch up. Well, we'll never catch up. As... as uh, Keith told us in our episode of the Criterion Completionist, they are releasing more per year than episodes we're doing. Yeah, so. I mean, well, I mean, our our podcast description on the website is correct when we call it a Sisyphusian task. Yeah, it never ends. It never ends. It never ends. But that also means you, you can't die. Oh, no. We're immortal right. now. We, I mean, I'm a vampire, basically, at this point. A very unattractive, very sick vampire. <laughs> Vampires can get colds, probably. Yeah, you know, you gotta wonder, right? No, you don't, because vampires are stupid. I hate them. (laughs) Oh, again, thank you for listening. We'll talk to you next time about The Diary of a Country Priest. Which is a movie about a vampire. It's not about a vampire. Are you sure? (laughs) It's got a crucifix on the cover. It's not about a vampire. Ooh, maybe he's a... Well, okay, so, like, Blade Runner has daywalkers. Maybe he's a cross... Carrier? I don't know. You say Blade Runner has daywalking? Yeah, isn't that like vampires? the thing in like day in Blade Runner? Like he's a daywalker. He's a vampire. Or like he's half vampire. Come on, man. Not, not Blade not, Runner. Sorry, not Blade Runner. <laughs> sorry. Oh shit! Like that's so funny. Blade. Hey, Blade. Sorry. That was that was a slip. That's like um. That's like when I get Tommy Lee and Tommy Lee Jones confused. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing in common except for the names are similar. <laughs> what was the other one that I always do? There's another one that you and I have talked about before. I don't know, man. I have a few, I I have a few weird quirks like that that I can't. I can't. I can't. Oh.
We have to actually end this episode for the fifth Sorry. time. Thank you once again. I am, as always, Lee Adam Glass. With me, as always, John Patrick Oitari Dorian, who sometimes can't even remember his own name, so we need to contextualize yeah, that it's correctly. It's important to understand that. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. listening to Lost in Criterion, hosted by John Patrick Oatari Dorgan and the Adam Glass, who edits it. We're a production of WithTwoBrains.com. Jonathan Hape does the music. Check him out at JonathanHape.Bandcamp.com. And hey, if you like us, why don't you give us a review on iTunes, like us on Facebook, and support us on Patreon. That's Patreon.com slash Lost in Criterion. We'd appreciate it.